This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell stays with us. Remote viewer Canada's Edgar Casey. His website, Dr. Douglas James. I'm sorry, it's just Douglas James Cottrell, isn't it? It's That's not correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, the website, douglasjamescottrell.com. And, uh, we'll tell you some more about his quantum meditation course, uh, that's happening in Texas, in Fort Worth, uh, next month, a little bit later in the program. Right now we're talking about, um, Aero Air Flight 1285. And this was the, uh, the military, uh, plane carrying about 250 uh, U.S. military personnel that were returning home from a peacekeeping mission in the Sinai Desert in December of 1985, crashed uh, shortly after refueling in Gander, Newfoundland, en route back to uh, Fort Campbell in Kentucky. All 248 uh, crew, uh, uh, passengers were killed in, in addition to eight crew members. And uh, Douglas was asked to a remote view uh, this air disaster, the worst in uh, Canadian, on Canadian soil in uh, Canadian history. And, uh, D- Douglas discovered that it was not, um, uh, uh, the, the crash was not caused by, uh, ice accumulation on the wings or a failure to de-ice. He remote viewed a cyanide capsule that exploded in the, uh, in the, uh, the cockpit that spread to the rest of the plane. And uh, that that killed the uh, the pilots, and that caused the crash. This was later confirmed to him by that general. Well, and also, Richard, um, uh, a point uh, that I did not know until recently was that the 101st Airborne Division uh, they had taken off uh, from the Cairo Airport, and as I said, they were headed to uh, uh, Fort Campbell in Kentucky with a, a stopover in Gander. Uh, the crash occurred uh, three three miles away from the Gander Control Tower, which means it was a very short takeoff. Okay, and the wreckage was spread across an area about thirteen hundred feet uh, by one hundred and thirty feet wide, according to some reports. Which means that that nosed in pretty, uh, you know, pretty solid. It, it didn't uh, it didn't land like a solid plane with ice on the wings, which would mush into the ground. Their pilots would have some control. They would have the landing gear down. They would be in an upright position. This, this, uh, you know, crashed into the ground on, without any control. I'm not sure if the wheels were up or down. I don't know for that for sure, but that would be another bit of information to say that, right? You know, at, at that distance, they were they were in flight. So a little bit of information I didn't know, and I think why uh, Mr. Cosby, who was in uh, in the cabinet as a defense minister, 
and his putting his foot down on this, if you will, and suppressing the truth. Uh, because America is, uh, the American military did not want to, uh, to admit that there was a terrorist attack. However, almost immediately after the crash, there was a, the terrorist organization Islamic Jihad telephoned a U.S. consulate in Algeria and said that the group was responsible for the crash at Gander. Yes, this was a Shiite Muslim uh, extremist group. <clears throat> right. So uh, the psychic guy says there was a bomb, cyanide gas, uh, went through the plane. Soldiers who were decapitated had cyanide gas in their lungs, said this was a terrorist attack. The government, through uh, Minister Crosby, uh, Crosby, says no, it wasn't. And then immediately you have a terrorist, terrorist group call up and say, yes, they caused a crash. Right. And this is four. Exactly. And well, and, and further to your point, uh, that why they would want to keep this secret is that Islamic Jihad, uh, said that their, their plan was, uh, to destroy the plane to prove the ability to strike at the Americans anywhere. There you go. Hmm. So uh, the order obviously then came down to Defense Minister John Crosby, uh, and the Canadian government. Listen, we, 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 we can't, we can't talk about this. We have to deny this. That's exactly right. This was a typical cover up, uh, by, uh, members of the Canadian government at the perhaps behest of the U.S. military. Uh, and because of the honorable men who were on the, um, uh, National uh, Transport and Safety Board, uh, it was a, a member uh, that four of the members, dissented four of them not one thinking you know maybe it wasn't ice on the wings maybe it was like a seagull getting stuck in a plane in the engine there was the four of them descended because yeah. they didn't want to put their name on nearly half nearly half That's right. of four of the nine and they so lost con the public canadian public so lost confidence in them after this particular investigation that the federal government had to basically uh disband the casb they they uh they they disbanded it and they had to create a new regulatory board that's when the transportation safety board of canada uh, came in and replaced it as a result of that botched investigation now after that i mean were you ever visited i'm not going to call them men in black that's such a cliche but i mean were you ever visited by uh i don't know the rcmp or anyone saying how did you know well, uh, the short answer is uh, uh, no. I had uh, the Brigadier General um, who would be talking me up uh, that, uh, you know, this is what the psychic guy said. And he also, he had, he had my reputation or my, um, he had the evidence that what I said based on previous information I had given him uh, to be incredible. He took a lot of flack from that. They tried to disgrace him. Uh, that he was dealing with, you know, the psychic guy kind of thing. But I also was involved in the Air India crash, and I gave evidence, or sorry, I gave information that proved to be evidence on that crash, which was another air, air, air crash disaster. Yes. Well, maybe we'll do that so, one on a, we'll go into depth on that one on another uh, on another show. Yeah. Well, this was a time in my life when I was working for the military, and I was, I shouldn't say that, I was working for individuals who happened to be members of the military and or uh, some different 
like the, the National Transport and Safety Board people. Um, so, you know, getting to this, if you look at it, it's still to this day controversial because uh, uh, this idea that um, that it was ice on the wings and everybody who's flown an airplane, especially in the military, knows that it didn't, it didn't pass the smell test, uh, that there was a terrorist organization who called up immediately and claimed responsibility for that. And that the uh, um, there was no evidence uh, on board that an onboard explosion had uh, caused a crash, but the plane was uh, spread out as you know, like it it uh, it was something that happened. Eyewitnesses uh, seemed to contradict the government statement uh, that they uh, they claimed they had seen explosives or ammunition being carried on as cargo on the plane in in uh, Cairo. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's in plain sight. And I gave them, I, I was the, uh, uh, I, I put all the pieces together in seeing in my intuitive uh, mind, what happened as if I'm watching a movie, which is how I saw, I see things. They appear very quickly, one scene after the other. <laughs> Me. Right. Right. Did, did the military? Did the did members of the the uh, Canadian Defense Department or Ministry of Defense, I should say, did they, after you had sort of made your reputation with them, uh, did they come back to you f- on, on on other cases? Well, I did. As I said, I worked a little bit with other people in different areas, and uh, again, it was a matter that they knew. Uh, I, I didn't have to sign a disclaimer, a non-disclosure form, or anything like that. They just knew they came, uh, they paid cash, and they left. And um, I, had, I had one man come who once said to me, he was a very spooky guy, who said, well, I want to tell you that you have helped me very much today, but you're never going to hear of me or see me again. I went, wow. So back in the day, I was looking over my shoulder every now and then, uh, because I thought that maybe there, if there was a cover-up going on of this magnitude, the worst uh, air disaster in our country's history uh, at that time, uh, I, I thought, you know, maybe I might just disappear. But as, as uh, time went on, that uh, never happened, and, and, uh, but it was in my mind at the time. But again, there have been different times where people have contacted me for it for other reasons, and some with the military, some with uh, police matters and things like that. All right. Listen, and- we're, we're going to take a, a quick time out, Douglas, when we come back. Uh, let, let's spend some time talking about uh, some earth changes. And also, we have to talk about uh, that, that hor- horrible, horrible fire uh, uh, that uh, almost destroyed uh the great notre dame cathedral and we'll talk about your uh your your quantum meditation course coming up in fort worth texas in may uh all that and more with dr douglas james cottrell canada's edgar casey right here on the conspiracy show my name is richard serrett stay with us the truth is not out there it's right here the conspiracy show with richard serrett from Zoomer Radio. Douglas, uh, I have to ask you about uh, the, the, the great fire in Notre Dame at the, North, at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris and whether you've seen, had any visions or had an opportunity to remote view what, what might have happened. I mean, officially, investigators there are saying, well, they have ruled out 
uh, sabotage. Uh, they have ruled out terrorism. Although, to be honest, I thought they came to that conclusion pretty quickly. Um, I mean, who knows? This could be another case of covering up for something. Have you, have you, have you had any visions or remote viewed the fire? Okay. Well, as it came across the news, uh, when my mind hears something, I usually see a picture in my mind. And what I was looking at was heavy equipment up there, and they were uh, using some sort of heater, some sort of propane, something or other, or I saw a round ball of something that uh, I thought was a piece of equipment, and it was just left. I don't see any sabotage, I agree. This was uh, as much as the Catholic Church is in difficulty these days. I don't think this is a, uh, some retaliatory strike because of the uh, situation with the bishops and the, and the priests and, and the problems with children. I think this was truly um, an accidental situation. But again, in the in the understanding of the spiritual world, there are no such things as coincidence or accidents, so to speak. And I had said this to uh, when I was doing my uh, talk at the Mini Mansion Center in Hamilton. And I think this is a uh, uh, a disaster that's going to pull uh, Christians and, in particular, the Catholic Church together. That this has a uh, silver lining, so to speak, and that is, it is going to bring people together. Like all difficulties and disasters, you know, enemies will come together when there's a natural disaster, and that's what I think the reason under God's rule or law uh, and light has has allowed this to happen. It is a terrible disaster. I didn't feel bad about it, uh, like a, like a, a disaster, but I was nervous the day or two before, like I usually do when something horrific is going to happen in the world. I just kind of feel, you know, like, uh, nervous, like, you know, like, like a kitty cat, you know, something's going to happen. And this was it. So the answer is that I didn't see it as, as terrorists or, or willfully done. I saw it as an accident. I saw a piece of, of something look like a, a, a big sphere, a round shape. And um, that caused the fire. I do um, want to say that uh, two things. One is there uh, with the cross, the golden cross, even when the fire was burning, was if you look at the news coverage, it was illuminated and it was shiny. And even after the cleanup, it was shiny. And I took that as some sort of divine message that, you know, that golden cross was there shining through the, the ashes, if you will. Right, and then also just to just to because we're have on the subject, if people are going to donate uh, money to them, be careful that you uh, make sure you go on the official website for uh, to donate money. Unbelievably, there are charlatans and 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 uh, uh, what do you call it scams going out there right now. So make sure you know that you go to the correct website to donate money. I'm going to donate some money myself. And I would encourage everybody to do this, but this is a horrific thing, but I think the purpose is yet to be found in a spiritual way to bring Catholics and people together when it is a, and is the darkest hour for the Catholic Church at this point. Right, right. You mentioned propane tanks. I mean, there was renovations going on, and and uh, I, someone mentioned that someone had been welding in the general vicinity where the fire took place, but I don't know... Uh, uh, you know, I certainly, you certainly have an incredible track record. Here's why, why I just keep, I, I, I remain suspicious and no one seems to be talking about this in the, in the press. And that is 
in fact, someone tried to bring this up on a, on a cable news show and they were cut off, but it's true. Over the last several weeks, no fewer than a dozen, uh, churches in, in France have been vandalized and desecrated. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and here we are, you know, entering the, the, the most holy week in the Christian calendar. And then, you know, perhaps the, the, the most well-known Catholic, um, a cathedral in the world goes up in smoke. Well, I'm not going to rule it out, Richard. I, I saw a round sphere. I saw somebody. It looked like uh, like a, a tank or a propane tank. But I, all that was was a flash. When when I came on the news and I saw it, I had this um, uh, image. So I'm not going to say it was willfully sent, but I, I didn't get that uh, grungy feeling. I just was nervous before it happened. Which well, was uh, Claire Santin ability to, to, it could it yet it remains yet to to be seen and like all the things I do, uh, including this crash uh, of the uh, DC eight, the evidence uh, after the fact proves what I have seen, and so maybe there when we see a big round canister up there, or there there is this this uh, further investigation that maybe we can have a little closer look at that, but at this point in time. Uh, I think that you're on the money. I, I agree with you that there, there's there is an attack on all these um, um, religious icons, and this is, uh, you know, the most uh, notable. I mean, it's the the uh, number one symbol of the Catholic Church, and uh, it, it could very well be. But I I was taking it more. My impression was this has some benefit in the, in the future right. to bring people together. Uh, we'll take another uh, quick time out. When we come back, uh, let's talk about maybe some other earth changes going on. And of course, we'll talk about uh, your quantum meditation course happening next month in Fort Worth, Texas. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. We are back with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, and uh, let's spend a few moments uh, talking about uh, earth changes. I know uh, you've, um, you've taken note of weather patterns and how they seem to be changing. We're not talking about climate change here, but, but weather patterns. And well, well, you explain. Well, let's step back in time a little bit and, uh, it was on your show years ago that I had uh, said that I had a, a dream vision in which the core of the earth was rotating at a slower speed than the crust and that the oceans were going to heat up uh, to two or four uh, degrees Celsius. I announced that on your show, and as far as I know, it was the first one to even talk about this uh, oven inside the world of the, the earth's mantle. Uh, moving at a different speed than the crust. And I also, on your show, challenged uh, Dr. Suzuki to have a look at it. And I think a year or two later, some scientists came out and validated that the that the crust and the Earth's core were rotating at different speeds. But, as usual, uh, it was a normal occurrence. Well, nobody had thought about that before, and I don't think it was normal at all. I had a, My attention was drawn to it. And that, my friends, is where uh, the greenhouse uh, gases are not really heating up the planet. It's the Earth's core that's causing this huge uh, temperature change, this friction, causing the 
thinnest part of the core, which is at the bottom of the oceans, to be exposed to this great heat. And the oceans are heating up, and this is causing the, the uh, weather pattern changes. It's causing the, the ice caps, which are melting at an alarmingly fast rate. And also, we're looking at the now the Earth wobbling and tilting back. And I've noticed in, in our weather pattern that when I was growing up, all the weather, snows, rainstorms, windstorms came from the Northwest Tories, Yukon, down from the, the northwest towards the southeast underneath James uh, Hudson's Bay, James Bay, and out to the east coast. Now I've noticed that our weather seems to come from Texas and, and the Caribbean and going up to, uh, to Quebec and toward to the Maritimes. So we have a, a change from the weather coming instead of from the north, but from now from the south. And I'm, uh, I've been predicting this before. We're going to see more flooding in places like Kentucky. Never before where there has been, uh, disasters of floods. It's going to happen now in that area. There are, you know, this, um, Yosemite, uh, Wyoming, uh, uh, volcano. I've also said on your show, I saw a wall of lava coming across from the west towards the east and choking gas. Uh, coming across to uh, the people you know, who were in an airport not uh, too far away east of it. And there is an airport that is east of, of that small place. So that's yet uh, going to happen. And well, we've noticed that with the heating up from the Earth's core, volcano activity is happening more and more on a regular basis. And we're looking for Mount Etna and Vesuvius to go off at the same time. And when that happens, that's kind of the countdown for more disasters to take place. Recently, I was aware that somebody has done uh, um, an internal, um, I don't know how he did it, but it was like an internal mapping of the uh, Earth's crust and, and the, the tubes or channels. It looks like a, a fork uh, of the Earth's crust. And these forks are coming up in Europe and also in other parts of the world in uh, what we call, you know, the, the now the south southern hemisphere. So however he had this map, but he's been mapping, he's been pretty accurate. And this, this goes along with what I'm seeing as, you know, in countries that are in conflict, they seem to be also in, in natural disasters. So I'm looking forward now. We're going to see more of uh, difficulties with the weather, but we're also going to see uh, difficulties with uh uh, famines or disease going through the, the herds in the Southwest, you know, beef and, and uh, cattle. So we're going to have some exposure to that, whether that's because poisoning gas or whether it's poisoning the environment, I'm not sure, but that's going to happen. We're also going to see these extremes. And uh, right now, the flooding in the Midwest, uh, crops are failing. They failed for two years. The farmers are now at a point where they had their money in the bank, so to speak, their, their grain and silos, but the silos have now been uh, decimated and, and the, the grain has been lost. So we're going to see disastrous prices in corn and uh, wheat and the bread products, which I have been predicting. I think I predicted on your show as well. That's all happening right now. So in this time, be prepared, have enough uh, food or, or something in reserve that you could last six or eight months should there be some sort of storage uh, shortage, I should say. 
We just have a few moments yet. Let's talk about your quantum meditation course that you're teaching in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, first of all, give us the dates, how people can register, and then we'll get into some more details. Okay, if people are interested and, and they, they, they should be serious, they have to be able to uh, be uh, able to see things in their mind's eye. I, I have a pre-requisite uh, test that I, I do for that. So they, they have to be able to demonstrate clairvoyance, remote feeling, or my projection. It's uh, coming up May the 24th, and it goes to June the 1st. It's a nine-day intensive course. It, it encompasses all of the abilities. We talk one-on-one. Everybody has uh, sufficient time to ask me questions on any subject. And we explore all the different aspects of developing your remote viewing capability, your clairvoyant ability. Plus, we also do some energy work or spiritual healing to open up the chakras and also the pineal gland, which is the psychic center. That's something I do. I don't think anybody else does that. We have students who you can call up and ask them what the course was like and how they did. And these are incredible people. um, And they speak from the heart. So we have been doing this for a few years, and this is, I'm not going to say I'm going to announce my retirement here, but I'm getting pretty close to 70, and so I will be um, doing more, you know, talking about buffalo chips in the good old days at lectures, (laughs) and I will be working for, for people like I have over the last 45 years. So I'm looking for people to replace me. All right, and um, this is happening in Fort Worth, Texas, May 24th to June June 1st. And again, how do people uh, register? Just go on my website, douglasjamescottrell.com, and there's information there all about the course and what's going to, what's going to be done. And also, again, we can give uh, some former students uh, contact information they can call them up for and ask them questions. They, they're not paid. They're doing this because they believe in, in uh, what was given to them. So go to Douglas James Cottrell, C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L dot com. And my name's all over the Internet. So uh, even if you don't quite get it right, Douglas James something or other should pop up. Douglas James Cottrell. And of course, you can go to your show, and I'm I'm all over your website. I'm sure, right? Oh all yes, times. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> we, we go. I will I will post the uh, the details on the uh, website, or people can just click on your name on the front uh, page under the guest listing, and uh, that'll take them right to your website. So if if you're looking to sort of slowly ease out, uh, I mean, do you have you met? Do you think? Your successor? Do you think you've, you you have an idea who that person might be already based on these courses that you've taught? Well, I'll give a shout out to uh, my friend Tom, who has actually interviewed some of the students. I cannot support, validate, or indicate you know anybody's um, uh, ability, but I can say they've taken the course, and it's Ramstein Regalin uh, on the YouTube channel. He's he's uh, interviewed a few of the students. There is a namesake, her, um, her name is uh, Jessica Cottrell, who is in Detroit. Uh, we have the same name, we must be related somewhere, but she has her own uh, spiritual center in Detroit, Michigan. So he has interviewed some of them, and that's one way to go. But uh, I've met people who have the capability to do so. So I, I'm looking at people who can survive and thrive on their own reputations 
May 24th to June 1st, Fort Worth, Texas, a nine-day intensive course with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell. Just click on his name on the website, the Conspiracy Show website. First, go to strangeplanet.ca, then find the radio page, and you'll see Douglas's name. Click on that. That takes you right to the website. Douglas, always a pleasure. Be well, my friend. Talk soon. God bless you. Happy Easter to you and your family, my friend. God bless. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for us. We are done. My thanks to Owen Wolf and Ryan White. Back next week with paranormal investigator Joshua P. Warren and Pastor Mark Biltz on the identity of the Antichrist. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And we are back with George Freund. And uh, tell us again how we can read your blog and uh, tune you in on the Power Hour. Well, my website is conspiracy-dot-com, and uh, you know you can find me there. I also have a blogger news page attached to that, so you can uh, find the link for that. I call it Fabergé <laughs> Google Doodle, so I can post all kinds of other news, and uh, you know not overwhelm too much in uh, in my page. And uh, of course, powerhournation.com is uh, you know moving and shaking now, top fifty radio station in the United States, and the beauty of it is it's I call it one of the global operations that you don't have to have a smell to where most anything else that's global is under the control of the elites and used to denigrate uh, societies as opposed to build them up. But, uh, you know, we're from sea to sea and shores beyond the shores. Uh, This goes right around the world, uh, compliments of the, of course, cyberspace, but the good old fashioned shortwave radio. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing the reach that, uh, you know, you hear the odd uh, case where, you know, somebody is on the beach in Africa or something fishing and they're picking this up on their on their shortwave radio. It, it goes everywhere. And that's the beauty of it because that just puts put seeds when across you, the whole planet. When you see and, what, ha- what is uh, happening to people like chance. Assange and others, do you ever wake up and say, boy, I don't know how, mu- how much longer I'm going to be allowed to do this, to talk about what I talk about. Do you ever get that feeling, like in your gut, like this is all going to come tumbling down soon? Well, it's a whole lot easier than grandfathers, uh, you know, having to walk across Europe with a rifle to uh, deal with the evil uh, back in World War II. So I count myself lucky there. Uh, you know, I'll be perfectly frank with you. You know, in years past, every Sunday when I was on your show, was a work day for me. And uh, so that way Monday would be my day off and it's cool to stay up late. Someone came and threatened to kill me. It was, it was almost like you could set your watch. But well, I'm an ex-cop. They, 
and uh, they it was came in the to your house and threatened in the armor car industry. So, oh. no, to my place of work, that'd be a work day for me, and threatened me. So I came up with a little thing there. You remember the comedy? Yes, Red? yes. Retired, extremely dangerous. <laughs> I'm not retired. But the E and the D are still working. The E and the D are still active. So I remember one turkey like three years ago, you know, he came at me. That was when Black Lives Matter was in town. And just out of the blue, this guy shows up, takes a swing at me and whatever. He's 30 years younger, 35, 40% bigger. And God gave me the strength of Samson. I didn't even know how I did it. I had to watch the surveillance video like five times to go, did that happen? I put him in the ground in two seconds, flat head first. And, you know, that was a police takedown that they could show that film at the police college to show you how it's properly done. The guy got up. He had Excedrin headache number hmm. 5005. <laughs> Took him weeks to get over it. And uh, so, so I'm a believer. And after things like that, that's why I'm a believer, because the good Lord is there to give us protection, to do his work as it's to be done. And it's for the benefit of his people and his Eden uh, that we live in a, you know, you know, Moses had the tricks. He could turn things in, you know, snakes and scare Pharaoh or something. We just have to do it by talking on the radio. But uh, th- th- there is a good, there is an evil. And, uh, you know, if I got to go down, well, you know, one day I'm going to meet the Lord anyway. So uh, better that uh, I'm younger as opposed to, you know, vacillating away in a nursing home from some incurable disease or something. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'd probably have a radio set in there and be transmitting. On well, no, I, I, I mean, I wasn't roof. for a minute suggesting that, you know, you would be you would be hurt. I just meant be allowed to do the kind of radio that you do. I mean, I ask myself this, the same question, you know, how much longer, you know, before, uh, you know, the black helicopters start circling. And I, I mean, I'm being facetious, of course, but <laughs> I'll, I'll send you, you pictures. I'll send you pictures. When I was doing an Internet show called Spy Man. My, the guy who hosted it, Mike, calls me up and he says, George, there's black helicopters over my store and guys are rappelling onto the roof. And I go, well, where are you? He says, I'm in Georgetown. And I go, okay, I'll make a beeline straight over there. So I got pictures. <laughs> so it was almost like the Army was flying, uh, uh, you know, these helicopters at high speed and tight turns over a shopping mall in Georgetown. I go, like, are you people crazy? Like, if one of those lost control, it would mm. crash through a supermarket or hit the parking lot or something like that. So they, they do play their games, and, uh, you know, there is no joke in that. You know, I remember, too, like, you know, they put the transport truck across the road for me years ago when I was revealing about the propane fire in Toronto and uh, not saying some nice things about the Republican candidate at the time, McCain. And, uh, you know, well, God saved my life. He stopped time. I crashed, but I crashed in the, you know, the landing leg of the trailer caught me like a baseball. I lost two, you know, I broke my legs, but, uh, you know, I have my cross hanging from the rearview mirror and anything inside the arc of the cross was completely uninjured. And uh, I got a ton of money out of it to buy a second house and uh, support myself better. But, uh, you know, they play games. I've been shot at twice. And, uh, you know, oh, well, the headlight they shot out, the light never burned out. I covered it with duct tape because I'm a Canadian. Oh, my. And it stayed like that until I, may, I got rid I of the car and gave it to somebody else. I may have to hire to start my car just for having this conversation. <laughs> uh, just back to Assange for a moment because we're just about uh, out of time here. But I'm wondering if he does get extradited to the United States, even though he's not a United States citizen, I'm wondering could President Trump uh, uh, pardon him because – you know, uh, Assange wrote, this was, this recently came out, 
I don't know if it, it may have even come out in the Mueller report, but uh, that has Assange had written, he said we would be much better off if the GOP won, Trump won over Hillary, because basically he called her a sociopath and said, if she, if she, if she wins, we'll be in another war in no time at all. I agree with him. Uh, you know, my take of what was going on at the time it has nothing to do. I gave up on the left right paradigm long time ago, so I'm not in that game. There's the political forces are the evil globalists forming a world government, the people who don't know or don't want it to happen or something like that. But uh, I don't think we'd even be alive here to talk about it. We would have got into a war so fast with Russia. Russia's gone completely balls to the wall a couple of times where they were just going to take us all out. And Putin made it quite plain. I'm going to hit you so hard there isn't going to be a blade of grass alive on the planet Earth. And, uh, you know, so that's not a war you want to get into. It's not going to be a limited exchange. He's going to hit you with everything he's got, so you'll never move again. And uh, I believe that, that that would be coming down. So uh, in that regard, uh, you know, Trump getting elected, if that bought us time or saved our lives, uh, it's worth the price of admission right there. And uh, Assange is a good way responsible for that. And uh, the evil that uh, is on her side, she, you know, all her guards just say, like, she's just, you know, flipping evil. You know, she swears at you, curses you. She's the most vindictive person you could ever want to meet and such like that. And then, you know, then they have the nerve to say, well, okay, maybe you, you, you wouldn't want your daughter to stay up late with President Trump when he was a younger man or something like that. But uh, on a scale of one to 10, he's a one and she's a 12. So why there, there's nothing do you to talk suppose about. then is, I mean, Trump had earlier voiced support. You know, he thought Assange was great. Why is he not now standing up for him? Or is he playing his cards close to his vest? Do you think he will maybe pardon him? I would hope so. But uh, I'm dubious of that. What I think has happened in some of the uh, bendings of the president uh, of late is somebody's got the goods on him, and they may be blackmailing him on a few issues to keep him under control and, uh, you know, have him sing the global tune a little bit. Uh, You know, they have backed off a little bit on him uh, in Congress, and uh, they're not as rabid as they used to be. And that's, uh, you know, not a good sign if they do, but that's what intelligence agencies do primarily is to try to get the goods on the leader. And J. Edgar Hoover was a master, and I doubt uh, very much that any other major intelligence agencies don't have a dossier on him that would uh, make your grandmother blush. So uh, is, is that keeping him in line for this to, to stay back on a few issues? I just look at it. What's more important? Uh, you know, somebody raises some dirt about me or I save my country and the world from either Armageddon or from a complete and total collapse to evil. There's just no comparison. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest heroes, too, in my opinion, is his wife for all the crap they've thrown at him, uh, you know, about his dalliance with the prostitute and such like that is, uh, you know, if, if there's anyone who, you know, is probably one of the greatest first ladies that's ever been to have class and dignity. I agree. And I agree. Like and that. if she it were a Democrat, be she'd be plastered on every magazine, every single issue. Not once, as far as I know, has she been featured on a magazine cover as the first lady. Well, George, listen, always a no, pleasure. You no, no, always no, no. bring uh, tremendous information to the program. And uh, like I said, you are a treasure. I mean that. And I, I thank you so much. And I wish you and yours uh, a very blessed Easter. 
And to you too, Richard, God bless you, your family, and to all the listeners, because you're what make it happen. Thanks so much, George. The man with X-ray eyes, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, is next to discuss the Aero Air Flight disaster from December 1985. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello and happy Easter and a blessed Passover to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, 740 kilohertz on the amplitude modulation band and 96.7 on the frequency modulation band. Hi to those of you checking us out on one of our affiliate stations from Alaska to New Mexico, North Dakota to South Carolina. Howdy to those of you streaming us on zoomerradio.ca and of course the YouTube channel. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. The man with X-ray eyes, Canada's Edgar Casey, remote viewer and trance clairvoyant, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, is here to discuss the worst aviation disaster ever to occur on Canadian soil, Aero Air Flight 1285, which crashed in Gander, Newfoundland back in December 19. 19- 85. Douglas is best known as a trans clairvoyant. He's a spiritual healer, teacher, published author who demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, the study of consciousness, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, prediction, and prophecy. He's one of a select few able to demonstrate all of these abilities and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. He teaches people the world over about spiritual development through the practice of meditation and the application of spiritual principles in daily life. He is the author of Secrets of Life, The Complete New Age Health Guide, The New Earth, A Prophetic View of Our Future, Gems of Wisdom, and Conversations with the Akashic Field. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm preparing for Easter. I'm uh, feeling well. I'm going to get to see the grandkids open up those little chocolate bunnies and uh, uh, and watch those little uh, guys zip around with all that sugar fix. So I'm doing well. Thanks for, for asking. It's uh, good to be back on the show as always. Thanks, Richard. And I know um, that in, I know that in May you're getting ready to go down back down to Texas. You have a quantum uh, meditation course, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But just just give us the dates and how people can sign up for this. Yeah, it's uh, we're establishing uh, the Many Mansions uh, Spiritual Center in Fort Worth, and it, this is part of the seminary. And uh, this is how to do uh, what I do, and we have classes uh, every so often. And this class is coming up uh, May uh, the twenty fourth until June the first. Uh, we have about a dozen people signed up so far. More information, go to my website, douglasjamescottrell.com. If you want to develop your ability for mind projection, remote viewing, clairvoyance, spiritual healing, and a lot of other things, this is a nine-day intensive course. And I, I encourage people, some of these students are coming back to take it again, a lawyer, a chiropractor, a registered nurse, people who have been to a lot of the other courses out there. So it is a good course, and I'm not just 
talking myself up here is an intensive, uh, in-depth course. People will not be disappointed. And people are coming from all over uh, North America. They are. Yeah, they are. Um, we've used to uh, do it more in Hamilton in Canada. We have people from Europe. Uh, last time we were in Fort Worth, we had a man come from Croatia and uh, all across the U.S. So uh, people come sort of willy-nilly wherever they feel like they should come. They feel called. Uh, and they do come from uh, across the U.S. and Canada and uh, and worldwide. But it, it seems to be every class is different, and people seem to come from far, far away, or they'll be up close. Uh, there'll be several Americans, a few Canadians, and a few people I sent from Europe. But uh, it's it's really unpredictable where people seem to be called or where they come from. But it's all from all over the world, and they do well. Uh, and they are practicing, and some of them have gone into uh, a practice in helping people, uh, which is their intention, and which is what I hope to do. If you want to be like Edgar Casey, Paul Solomon, Ross Peterson, or myself, the so-called last of the sleeping prophets, uh, this is the course for, for anybody that's interested in that area. Well, I know your, your intention is to teach people to do what you do, but they'll never be another you. Let's just get that straight. Now, <clears throat> I want to go back because we're going to dip into the uh, the case files, and, and this will give people really a good indication what you do as a remote viewer. And I remember we talked about this case many, many years ago, but I don't know that we actually discussed it on the air, and it's the Aero Air Flight 1285, which is still uh, the worst aviation disaster on Canadian soil. Over 250 passengers, uh, they were U.S. military personnel, 101st Airborne. Um, and this was a, a horrible crash of, a, I think it was a DC-8 um, a plane uh, that took off shortly after, or uh, sorry, uh, crashed shortly after takeoff in Gander, Newfoundland on its way back to Kentucky, the uh, the Air Force base there. Uh, but let, let's just, uh, for those not familiar or not old enough to remember Aero Air Flight 1285, just uh, walk us through the uh, the chronology here. Okay. Uh, I was uh, back in 1985. I was 35 years old. Um, I had been um, contacted by members of our uh, Defense Department and I was actually doing consultations for various members in in the uh, Defense Department, the Canadian uh, Defense Department, uh, at several levels. Uh, somewhere in there, um, I struck up a, uh, uh, um, let's say, a friendship with uh, Brigadier General Roger Lacroix, who was retired at the time. And he was uh, his wife was a major, and she was, uh, I think, semi-retired. And I had done some personal consultations for them where I correctly identified um, a trip around the world that they were going to take, um, what was going to happen in different countries, including that at one time they were going to lose their luggage. Many of the things I said happened uh, as they did, went on their world tour. And when they got back to um, uh, Montreal, uh, they were going to fly from Montreal to Ottawa, where they were, um, where they lived. Uh, and they remember having a conversation. They told me this later. They said, well, Douglas is amazing. He was right about the monkey on the shoulder. And it was this and that, and the other thing. He said, the only thing he missed was our luggage. Uh, we didn't lose our luggage. And with that, they got on the plane and flew from Montreal to Ottawa. And their luggage got on another plane and went to Vancouver. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, At the so last we, uh, moment, you were proven correct. Well, 
I just said these were some of the things that were going to happen. I don't know if the order was chronologically correct, but uh, so when those things happened, um, you know, my reputation uh, is um, usually that I'm right or I'm highly reliable in predicting events, the outcome of, of business meetings, uh, looking for uh, lost people, uh, deceased people, things like that. I've been involved. So with the military, I was 35 years of age. I was nervous working for the military. I didn't want to be, you know, found out to be uh, uh, some sort of black ops kind of psychic guy. But I did sessions, and there were several uh, times that I worked with important people, put it that way. In this particular occasion, there was this mystery about this uh, plane that had... uh, I believe it come from Egypt and it had uh, 248 soldiers on board and it had about uh, eight um, military, eight, um, eight crew. Correct. And the uh, plane uh, landed in, uh, in Gander in Newfoundland. It was bound for Fort Campbell in Kentucky. Uh, and it was Aeroflight uh, uh, 1285, I guess it was, the number. Yeah, let me just stop you there. Just a, a quick uh, thing that I, I don't know why I never noticed this before. But Aero Air Flight 1285, it crashed December 12th, 85. Sort of a coincidence, right? Well, uh, no such thing. That's <laughs> right. Um it, that is a remarkable uh, coincidence. Uh, at that point in time, uh, there was a lot of controversy because this plane was fully loaded with uh, with soldiers. Uh, it landed in uh, Gander. It was there for a short stay to refuel and then to continue on to Kentucky. The plane crashed very soon after takeoff. And uh, it remains uh, a mystery. It, it, it uh, was on a peacekeeping mission on the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. So it was coming from the Middle East, and it was returning to the United States. Right. And At again, that point, it, sorry, ahead. I just wanted to remind people again, all 248 passengers, eight crew, crew members aboard uh, uh, perished. And um, this was the 101st airborne divisions. So these were American soldiers who landed in Gander to refuel on en route to Kentucky. Okay, sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. No, no, this is correct. And there was great controversy. There was great mystery. And so um, my friend, the general, uh, called me up and said, would you, I, I, I was in Ottawa at some other time and I had met several dignitaries. Yeah, I don't really tell people where I go. We, You and I once had a conversation where you said, I didn't know you did these things, Douglas. And this is part of what being the psychic guy is. You don't brag or say you've been in the, you don't bring down to the, see the, the movie stars and you've got a, your personal friend of George Carlin or you've been in New York and you have seen mining executives, et cetera. It's kind of like you know, anonymity is, is, is a very good thing. So in this situation, I was brought in uh, and I don't zero about what happened and they wanted to know uh, and, and and I did a session for them and what I saw became uh, it became a good explanation and it seemed to have evidence to prove what I had said 
And it certainly was something that no one else thought of or anticipated. We should we should and point out, that, though, the official cause first, what the okay. Canadian Aviation Safety Board, what they claimed the cause of the crash was. Well, not all the members. It was... Uh, and I'm giving. I'm going to give you some inside uh, information, and I'm going to give you what I was told. Of course, I was not there, never went to the crash site, never met anybody in person, and knew zero about what was uh, going on, what was said. So the official cause under John Cosby, I think, was the uh, premier of Newfoundland, and he was, I think, involved in the Defense Department or Minister of Defense. It was ice on the wings caused the plane to crash. Ice on the wings caused the plane to crash. Now, the only problem with that is that all military airplanes or aircraft are routinely de-iced prior to takeoff. So what the official cause was ice on the wings was completely contradictory to the practice at the airports to de-ice all the wings any any military aircraft or any aircraft carrying military personnel. So, especially in, in Gander, Newfoundland, my God, you know, you would think that this would be a routine thing with that there would be any kind of uh, ice in the atmosphere or any chance of ice on the wings, that it would be de-iced. Now, remember, we're taking off. We're not coming in for a landing. And this is not going through the air. Ice on the wings, because I, I'm a little bit of a private pilot, takes a long time to accumulate on the wings of a plane and it causes the plane to stall. It doesn't cause the plane to crash. It causes it to stall, which means it falls out of the air. It's not, it's not like a, uh, this particular crash. It went in, it nosed into the ground. If you look on the internet, you'll see that it nosed in. So the official cause was ice on the wings, which didn't match up the normal practice. And there was dissension among the Aviation Safety Board. So the official pronounce, uh, pronouncement of the cause came from, as I was told, John Crosby. He was adamant that that was it. He wasn't going to take any other information. And that was the official cause because the plane was coming from the Middle East and the Americans didn't want or didn't want it to be known that this was sabotage that there had been a bomb on board. Okay, with that set up, uh, the Aviation Safety Board members, who themselves, uh, uh, General Lacroix was an air combat jet fighter pilot, as were some of the other um, aviation uh, board members. There was, I think, three or four of them that dissented. They They just couldn't believe it, didn't want to believe it. They knew it wasn't the truth. And so... Where do they go from here? Well, Roger, uh, the general called me in and he asked me to do a session. I was uh, doing our quantum meditation and I projected my mind into the plane at that time. And what I saw was unbelievably a cyanide bomb that was placed in the cockpit under the seat of the pilots. Hmm. Now, to me, coming up with that, that sounds pretty spooky. Uh, why was it placed in the cockpit under the foot of the pilots? Well, that meant that there was somebody somewhere along the line 
had gotten into a secure airplane and had planted a bomb. Right. How would that go undetected in the cockpit, no less? Exactly. And why a cyanide bomb? Why not an explosive bomb? Okay. Think about that. In uh, military aircraft, or in this particular aircraft, there was no, uh, as as I was told, I mean, I was in the plane, I don't know, there was no... um, uh, bulkhead. It was open. The the uh, as I understand it, I was told that the soldiers sit backwards in this plane, and they sit backwards in steel chairs, seats. When this bomb went off, it exploded. And again, I'm I'm telling you what uh, I was either told by uh, uh, the general and or what I had said, how it made sense and, and what the evidence was in the, in the uh, conclusion of it. It went off and the cyanide gas went through the cabin or the area of the plane. And it killed the pilots and the, pi- and the plane crashed into the ground, killing everyone on board. When the plane crashed, many of the soldiers were decapitated because their head hit the bar. Ah, yes. In their lungs was traces of cyanide in, their, in, in the lung. How did the cyanide gas get into their lungs if they were killed on crash? Now, wait a minute. The general the cyanide, told you, the general confirmed this, that there was cyanide gas in their lungs? That's what I was told at the time. Yes. This is This is... And somewhere out there, I read it um, on the internet some time ago, where there was uh, this information and this uh, um, evidence of cyanide gas being in, in the troops' lungs. And of course, the thing is that the cyanide gas had to be going through the plane in order for the soldiers to um, to breathe it in, to get it into their lungs. And then when they crashed, they were decapitated. So this is what I was told. Um, I was also told that there was a huge uproar uh, that they presented this evidence to Crosby and said, look, there was cyanide gas on this plane. Look, there was a bomb in the front of the plane. Look, these soldiers were, uh, they were dead before they hit the ground. This was sabotage. But at that point in time, John Crosby insisted it was ice on the wings. And as you read the reports out there, you'll find that there uh, there was a dissension in the in the uh, National Transport and Safety Board members who were investigating the crash. So much so that uh, at the end of it, the general and at least other members, one or two, resigned their position over this. They would not be party to this deception. Well, that's, the, what, that's what I, what well, I was is, told, what I know. Right. And, and the evidence seems to be out there that there was exactly what I had intuitively seen this bomb in the front of the cockpit going off, gas going through the airplane and killing not only the crew, but everyone else on board. And of course, everybody was killed on, 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 uh, on the plane. Now think about this. It's on takeoff. You wouldn't expect a plane minutes after takeoff to have such a devastating crash. I had said also that they wanted to know, you know, who planted it in Canada, who put the bomb on there. And and the information was that it was put on in the Middle East, I guess when it took off from Egypt, and it was supposed to go off over the Atlantic, which would mean that the plane would have disappeared and there would never have been 
any evidence of this bomb going off in a plane. But something happened or it misfired. In other words, it did not go off until it took off the second time from, from Gunder. And as it took off in Gander, Newfoundland, and it went off. Right, right. Now, when you were when you were telling the general this, he already knew that that he wanted confirmation because he already knew that there was cyanide gas on that on board. He wanted to see or wanted to no, find out didn't. what you. Oh, he didn't know that. that no, was, he didn't know. Nobody knew. I came up with that, and then they naturally, like all the professionals I deal with, I give them uh, information, I give them a cause, and then they go and look for it. And they, that's what they did. They oh, went I see. Back and that's when they, they that's when they found, yeah. Okay. Because when the cyanide gas went off, uh, the only evidence left was in the bodies of the dead uh, soldiers. Because when the plane hit the ground, it broke up, and there would be no, you know, it's not like a chalk going off, or, or you know, like there's not a stain around it. It just it dissipated. Right. So. They, it, it would be like looking for spray paint on the side of a wall. You know, you could see the paint, but if you take the spray paint and, and shoot it up in the air, the air carries away and there's no evidence. So that's what, it was not evident. It was not there until I brought it up and then they went looking for it. And that's when they found uh, evidence of the bomb going off in the cockpit at the pilot's seat and also uh, um, the cyanide gas in the bodies of the dead soldiers. So the general came back to you and said, you were right, Douglas. Uh, that's right. And they were, you know, like, um, and, and I was 35 years old. I got a young family. And I said, well, that's very nice to know. But, you know, just keep my name out of it. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, did he did he tell you, did he warn you? Not that you needed to be warned, but did he tell you you can't say this to anybody? Uh, no, I was not sworn to secrecy uh, or anything like that uh, because my reputation was that uh, the integrity was I would tell people, uh, what I would see intuitively, but I would keep my mouth shut. And uh, that's how it was. I, I mean, there are some people out there who come up with a prediction, you know, like uh, there was uh, an earthquake somewhere and then they're like, they want it all over the internet that they, they predicted it. And I was the, I was the reverse. I was uh, not shy, uh, but I certainly was um, uh, quiet about it. But I was personally pleased that I was able to help our government and was able to help the general. Uh, right. We became close friends after that. We'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to talk a little bit more about Aero Air Flight 1285. And also we'll talk uh, earth changes. And uh, we'll also talk some more about Dr. Douglas James Gattrell's quantum meditative uh, course that's happening in Texas next month. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca.
Bottled Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. A blessed Easter to you all, and a blessed Passover as well. Owen Wolf is my technical producer, and Ryan White is my live stream producer. Uh, however, we are not live streaming tonight or next week. The live stream on YouTube returns on May the 5th. However, the audio from this broadcast will be posted on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet, in the next few days. Uh, Ryan also posts episodes of my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited, and the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Check out the YouTube channel and hit that red sub button. George Freund is no stranger to alternative news. He's a good friend of the program, broadcaster, podcaster, blogger, and he's standing by to discuss the recent arrest of Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks. In the second hour, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell returns to the program, Canada's Edgar Casey, and the last of the Sleeping Prophets, and we're going to discuss an old case he worked as a remote viewer, the Aero Air Flight 1285 disaster. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was arrested a week ago last Thursday to face a U.S. charge that he conspired to hack military computers. After Ecuador's government ended his seven years of self-imposed exile and expelled him from its London embassy. Here to discuss is George Freund. He can be heard as an occasional fill-in host on the Power Hour radio program. He's also the host of an award-winning podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. He's been covering alternative news, cover-ups and corruption, and conspiracies for decades. George Freund, welcome to The Conspiracy Show once again, and Happy Easter. How are you, my friend? And happy Easter to you, Richard. Not too bad at all. You know, we, we are kind of what's left of the uh, the three musketeers that used to uh, dominate Toronto's uh, alternative news media, yourself, and our, of course our good friend Nelson Fall and the late great Gary Bell. And uh, I've come in, I guess, as a, as a ghost to fill in for Gary on Power Hour Nation in the United States. And uh, that's probably... We're unsung heroes to the way the world works, the way the future will unfold, as we may have put the brakes on many, 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 many plots and conspiracies that the deep state or New World Order have tried to pull off, but they couldn't get past us. And Toronto's been a nexus of that for a long, 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 long time. And, uh, you know, as basically the, the ringleader of the mob here, you're, you're the greatest, and uh, we thank you for the opportunity. Well, I provide the platform. You're the, you're the fiercely independent uh, researcher. Um, you know, I just run my mouth, but you're kind of, you're a boots-on-the-ground investigator, so, uh, but thank you for that. I, I, I wanted to talk about uh, Julian Assange's arrest, because, you know, other than a few articles, strangely, things have gone qu kind of quiet in the mainstream media. I shouldn't say strangely, I should say not surprisingly. Uh, but let's, let, let's just talk about Assange's arrest, uh, a, a week ago this past Thursday and, uh, uh, dragged from the Ecuadorian embassy where he had been, uh, given asylum for the last seven years. And, uh, uh, he looked, defiant but he looked kind of frail and i thought almost a little bit like a howard hughes character with his you know long beard and he looked a little dazed and confused 
uh, what do you, how, what have you heard about his mental state, first of all? Well, you have to look at him as he wasn't getting asylum in a way. I almost look at it as he was under house arrest. It started out as an asylum, and then it turned into an asylum, mm. because uh, in, I believe it's March of last year, they uh, cut off his communications because they didn't like that he was looking into things that were critical to the Ecuadorian government or some of the deals they may have been making, and uh, he wasn't allowed visitors for or some period of time, and uh, I imagine some of the disinformation or negative information that's coming out from Ecuador's president at this time about him spreading feces on the wall. Sounds like someone who was in solitary confinement and rebelling against a jailer, if that is in fact true. And, uh, you know, so why would you be facing a jailer if you're in an asylum situation in an embassy? So I think with the change in government in uh, in Ecuador, with the president being now Lenin and named after not John, but the other guy, <laughs> uh, Moreno, that, uh, you know, I think he has some strong tendencies to lean to um, an oppressive state, if that can be said. And uh, Julian is is under his control, because basically he's in his house, and uh, he just isn't too happy with the loss of freedom to report on what he wants to report. And, you know, people can make allegations about that, uh, you know, he's a tool of intelligence agencies or this or that. Uh, but until we really start to go over both sides, it's difficult to come to a conclusion because uh, uh, people can spread news and it could be fake news on mainstream or even in alternative media. And it gains traction and becomes the official truth when, in fact, it probably isn't. So uh, I get the feeling he was really under the gun with Marino, and I hear that, uh, you know, he was looking into his background, and he was looking into payments going into accounts controlled by his brother. And uh, so in Ecuador, they're called the INA papers, as opposed to the Panama papers. And uh, he was wondering, you know, how this Chinese company, Sino Hydro, uh, was putting money into his brother's account. And what's going on with that? So as a reporter, as a leaker, you know, if you're living inside the matrix of evil or something, that would probably make you feel very uncomfortable because, you know, do you rat the guy out or do you just stay true to him and give up all your personal values? Right. I mean, talk about integrity, uh, that, that he would be willing to literally bite the hand that feeds him, that is providing him some sort of sanctuary, uh, that he would be willing to... Uh, jeopardize his own security, safety, and freedom in order to do his job as a journalist. And, you know, no one is above the law, not even my keeper. So that, that's, to me, that speaks uh, to a great deal of integrity. So what's his status now? Where is he being held as he awaits extradition to the United States? Well, he's being held in, uh, you know, Her Majesty's goal there. And, uh, He's had a trial for uh, his skipping bail. He was convicted. His lawyer said it was unfair. He could be facing a year in jail for that. And uh, But, you know, even that is ludicrous to the extreme, too, because there really isn't a charge against him for what he was held for bail for in the first place. That was the uh, the sexual assault case in Sweden, right? Yes. The, they stopped 
being interested in that some time ago, and they had no interest in uh, carrying on with any type of charges for that as of like 2017. So there isn't anything really to be on bail for. So it just seems to be uh, uh, a witch hunt, as the word has been developed in American politics at this point in time, to get him for something or anything that you could hold on to. And many parliamentarians and government people in the UK have been pressing Sweden to reinvigorate these charges and extradite him on the sexual assault charges, or as they call it, rape, which seemed to be the most bizarre sort of rape case that could ever be devised anywhere is, you know, I think, uh, as I understand it, is you just, he wasn't wearing protection. And, uh, you know, I guess you have to have a signed contract from your partner that, uh, you know, it, that you're not, or you cheated them out of it or something. It just seems to be something really Orwellian almost that uh, he's up on charges for this. And uh, so, but that Sweden, Sweden is very different from anything you could ever have imagined it being before for some strange reason. It is the front line and many things are the front line. What's happening now, I call it like World Cyber War One is in the post 9-11 world, information became the ultimate weapon. Who controls it and who can overwhelm it? And we've been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about what's true, what's not true. And the biggest part of it is for you know people to get in touch with Marshall McLuhan and his studies on tech, you know, the media, the technology, and what's going on. Because he said very, very clearly that World War III will be an information war with no separation between military and civilian forces. And we see this very, very clearly now in the fact that a non-military person like Assange is basically held like a hostage in an embassy and then held hostage by the British government only to make him a hostage in Sweden or send him for some sort of show trial in the United States. He's not an American citizen. He, you know, can't be treasonous or anything like that. And I really can't see if we're in a free society where we, the people, are the government, that you could even, in the slightest context, be held for something that's revealing the truth. As right. a Christian, I look at what Jesus said, the truth sets us free, as being anything that's the truth will set us free, and anything that keeps us enslaved has to be a lie. And the intelligence agencies, these these states, with the laws that are coming out, the anti-terrorism laws and such, Britain said 10 years ago with the Ministry of Defense in London, they produced a secret document, so I guess somebody leaked it, and the principal threats to the public are threefold, terrorists, Russian spies and investigative journalists <laughs> with a stress on the investigative journalist. Now, how can that be setting us free if the person who's trying to tell a good story about uh, malfeasance or incompetence uh, by a government that is supposed to be working for the people be a threat? It, that's the opposite. It's the one who's calling you the threat that is really the threat. Right. And it reminds me of David Cameron at the United Nations when he said uh, conspiracy theorists were the greatest threat. At that time, and uh, well, except know, sometimes imagine. conspiracy theories are true. Um, yes, we we should point out in the the uh, the indictment, uh, U.S. authorities are are saying that Assange conspired with former Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning to steal and publish huge troves of classified documents. Well, if that's the case, uh, Chelsea Manning was was pardoned by President Obama. Now, whether you think that was the right thing to do or not. Uh, if she was pardoned for those crimes, 
then how can they come back and indict Assange for virtually the same thing or aiding and abetting Chelsea Manning in, in stealing and publishing these classified documents? Well, that's what they want to charge Assange with. It's a secret jury that met to process these charges, so no one really knew about it, and uh, Manning was supposed to appear before the secret grand jury and give evidence. And that's one thing where Manning is, you know, very, very, very honest, as far as I'm concerned, is she refused to participate in this show trial and would not give any evidence. So the judge is holding her uh, until she talks, or until the jury is finished in their application for these charges. So basically, she's being held hostage. Even though you were pardoned for the original offenses, you have this new thing on the block that uh, you must rat out your your so-called uh, colleague in crime here. And uh, basically, they're supposed to have worked together on a password to try to get into the secret intelligence internet system and uh, Assange was supposed to have been crucial in helping Manning uh, cover his tracks and break this password. Well, I think Manning already knew the password. He was working for the intelligence agency, and I think it was Manning uh, who gave the information to Assange at that time, the critical time, 2007, with that just horrendous shooting in Iraq. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget watching the video and uh, the news media played it. This was a like was it a drone strike I believe and there was helicopter gunship a gu- helicopter gunship in the video you see uh, maybe what seven eight nine uh, uh, people gathered on a corner talking I believe one of them was one of them an AP reporter it was Two later reporters and uh, you know so that just reeks of the military getting rid of truth tellers us terrible number three on the on the witch hunt list people. And uh, so the video itself is bad, but when you hear the audio, it is mind-blowing, because the, the guys in the helicopter are having fun. They're enjoying this. It's, it's sadistic. It's just absolutely terrible. And then a van pulls up, and the nearest people to come along are going to give aid and comfort to the wounded. And the helicopter opens fire on the van, and the van had a family in it. So it was just like, you know, you're the first person at the scene of an accident or something, and you try to do something to to help the situation and take the wounded to hospital if there are any. And uh, when they open fire on the van, well, then they're killing people who are, again, completely unrelated and innocent to this affair. And that's like the horror of war is this indiscriminate shooting of non-combatants. So they call this like a second Milai massacre. And Manning is required to report this to his superiors. He did, and they covered it up. So where do you go? The fifth estate, the press, the media. And probably a lot of them wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, but there was Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. And uh, that story ended up getting out compliments of Julian Assange. And if that's just one thing that you can say that he did right, compared to many other things people may say he did wrong, I look at that as that's worth the uh, the price of engagement here. That, so that was you a think horrible it's, war. You think it's really about that one video uh, rather than because, you know, over something like four months, 
uh, Chelsea Manning downloaded hundreds of thousands of secret reports, not only on Iraq, but Afghanistan, State Department cables, uh, information about detainees at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Um, and, and she turned those records over to WikiLeaks. Uh, and it's being called, you know, one of the, the most extensive leaks of classified secrets in U.S. history. So is it about the documents or is it mainly payback for the, the, that video? Oh, no, just for releasing the documents in general is you broke your oath to the, you know, the secret cabal that runs the world. And uh, they use the military and the intelligence agencies at the top of that and the police to sweep up the broken glass at the bottom. And, uh, you know, you break that like the Russians have a way for that. When you're going through training in the old KGB, what they would show you is they take a, someone who betrayed the oath and they throw them into a blast furnace alive. And they filmed it. And you'd watch that in training just to remind you that's the price you pay if you go against us. Well, the Americans are a little kinder, and so are most of the other intelligence agencies. So for you, if you're really bad, you may die in an accident. But for a lot of it, you're looking at hard time in prison. They're never going to let you go. And there's a lot of great patriots who are filling the airwaves, uh, you know, here and there. Uh, who've come clean on that. One is a power hour regular, Scott Bennett. And I believe you interviewed him or had him yes. fill in on your show one yes. time when you were away. And, uh, you know, I listened to that show. I was just polaxed to uh, to listen to him because part of the reason why they threw him in prison is he knew the truth about, you know, the money flow in the Pentagon and such like that. And I didn't have a clue that he even was alive. But I found out about things like that, and I was bringing that up on the Power Hour while he was rotting in jail. <laughs> so even though they had him on ice, somehow some of this information got under my nose, and uh, you know I just ran to the goal line with the ball and uh, as hard as I could. And I remember they stopped the show mid-show, and Dave at the time was doing it with his wife Joyce, and he says, "You got to show me this stuff before we go further," you know. And I said, "Yeah, we'll do this over the commercials." And, uh, you know, this is the way the world works. It's well, twisted and uh, explain though we to untwist me. it. Yes, indeed you do. But, George, explain this to me. How? OK, so Chelsea Manning, she uh, hacked into the, uh, the State Department servers or whatever. She she grabbed these hundreds of thousands of documents. He uh, he published them in WikiLeaks. Now, how is what? Julian Assange did any different that what, say, for example, the New York Times or later the Washington Post did with the Pentagon Papers uh, and Daniel Ellsberg? How is how is it different? It's not different at all. What they're doing now is they're trying to criminalize it. So there's articles from the lawyer who uh, was working on the Pentagon Papers that are out now, too. And he's just saying this is a test case for journalism now that uh, they can go after your sources uh, especially if you're dealing with classified or released materials that you're not supposed to have, and just basically imprison you for doing your job of reporting. And uh, so there is no difference at all. It's like this is like a trap where they're going to make this some sort of test case to, to bring this along. And this is being applied openly right now in Australia, where you know re- two reporters who found out that the Australian government was bugging cabinet meetings in East Timor are in a secret trial with a secret court and are going to get a secret prison to go to, and no one will ever know whatever happened to them. 
And, uh, you know, this is happening in what's supposed to be, you know, a free and democratic country. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's almost like Australia is, uh, you know, a carbon copy of the Third Reich or something like this, that they could even, even contemplate laws like that. Because primarily it's the artists, the writers, and the journalists who are at the forefront of these state laws, these terrorism laws or enabling laws, as Hitler called them. And uh, it has nothing to do with the odd patsy who lights a match or throws a bomb or shoots a bullet. And uh, it's the words, so the if, thought crimes. If he's extradited to the United States, I mean, which which court has jurisdiction? Who? I mean, what what uh, judicial uh, you know agency has jurisdiction? Where will he be tried in a in a in an open criminal proceeding? I doubt that. It's going to be in Alexandria, Virginia, but I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised they tried to come up with either a military tribunal type system or that it's a secret court. And that uh, with a lot of the laws that we've been foolish enough to allow governments to pass, uh, they exist in Britain, they exist in New Zealand, they exist in Australia, and to a great extent even in Canada, that uh, you know, you you cannot tell anyone. You can't even tell your wife, you know, why you disappeared for the last three months while I was waiting bail on the secret trial, and uh, you know, even your lawyer isn't even allowed to have uh, the full range of evidence to defend you. It is just absolutely horrendous. It's like going back to the Inquisition or something like that in the Middle Ages. And and I mean, he is charged with conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. Yes. Uh, what is the possible penalty there? They're looking at five years, but this could just be a stepping stone to get them to the United States to try to hit them with the Espionage Act, uh, to try to hit them with something harder. But uh, it does set a precedent now for journalists to be very leery about what they want to do, where they want to go, what type of sources they want to have. And uh, that's just a total punch in the face to what we are led to believe we exist in. And, uh, you know, I believe it was Frank Zappa who said something about, uh, you know, you'll know when the game is over, when the curtain's pulled back and you move your arm and you hit the wall. And we're at that point now. The curtain's pulled back and when we move backwards, we're hitting the wall and realizing that we've been in an illusory uh, type of freedom. We, we've really been uh, enslaved by this deep state, whatever it is and whatever power they have. All right, George, I got to take a quick time out. We'll come back, continue to talk about Julian Assange. George Freund, independent investigator, uh, award-winning podcaster. It is uh, called Conspiracy Cafe. We'll tell you more about that later. When we come back, I'm Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The host of Conspiracy Cafe, a uh, a unique, well, he's a Canadian treasure, really, uh, a fiercely independent researcher. Uh, George Freund is with us. Uh, how how do people get uh, uh, Conspiracy Cafe or read your blogs? Well, that's my website, conspiracy-cafe.com. And primarily now I'm doing Power Hour Nation as my uh, media outlet. And uh, because I like to prepare for the show in great detail. 
and uh, try to devote myself 110% to it because uh, that's the point of the sword for, uh, you know, fighting back against this deep state and doing what Marshall McLuhan said, being the civilian force in what is a, a global war against us, the people. And uh, he is so brilliant. It, it's just imperative if you know want to know anything about anything. It's also a spiritual war, too. He, In his private letters, he made it very clear that uh, Satan is the prince of the airwaves. Well, who's running the fake news, then, if everything's a lie? Well, Satan. And Christ returns in the clouds, it said. But at the Nicene Conference, they took out a word. It was something as the Son of Man, not the Son of Man. They, Rome removed a word. So the truth will come back in that battle, and it will be monolithic. And whoever wins this war will either have a one-world government of the Antichrist, or we won't. So I'm committed for the good guys to win uh, 110%. And uh, with whatever, you know, with my dying breath, if I could say five words to, uh, you know, to win the game, then uh, the game is won, and I'll say them, because they're just that important. Everything rests on what we do here and now. And that includes a lot of other people. The, you know, Ecuadorian country was hacked into oblivion. I think 40,000 websites were taken down or something or put under attack. There was rioting in the streets in Quito from people who were upset at what happened, probably because they know that uh, Comrade Lenin here is a crook. And, you know, that's kind of important. I, I think a lot of people pre would prefer that we just don't have such open and blatant larcenists in uh, in power, just looting everything blind. And uh, the hacker army, whatever they are, wherever they are, the fact that uh, they're holding them to account, and maybe there'll be other people that will be releasing things, and a thousand organizations or people will take Julian Assange's place and get information out from whatever source they can find it. And a lot of these young kids are very, very bright and could probably very well cover their tracks and uh, just make it very difficult for these controllers to manipulate us any longer. When, when uh, Ecuador, the Ecuadorian government decided they were no longer going to uh, shelter Assange at the embassy, was this a case, as you mentioned earlier, that Assange was really biting the hand that, that was feeding him. He was, he was going to be reporting some very damaging information about the president of Ecuador and his brother and their business dealings with, with China. Or would, did it have anything to do with whoever in the deep state is really behind getting Julian Assange back to the United States to try him? Were That's they, one of the were uh, they things exerting, there. Were they exerting pressure on Ecuador? Were they bribing them? Well, I wouldn't call it pressure. Let's just say they were doing what the Americans do very, very well, is they come in with a big suitcase loaded with money, and that usually uh, moves mountains. And uh, they, they've done it uh, in various international deals of late, and this one was no different. So they were going to uh, exchange Assange for debt relief, and that amounted to $1.1 billion dollars. And I'm sure, like with almost anything that involves large sums of money like that, is there could be a little shrinkage here or there to help a struggling president have a good retirement fund. And, uh, you know, that's just a total slap in the face. Another incident that came out is uh, Comrade Lenin said, 
Assange leaked photos, personal photos of him and his family or something. So how he got them, it's difficult to ascertain because he's supposed to be in, you know, some sort of uh, media blackout overall. So maybe it was some of his cohorts. One that was uh, published that I did see was uh, Moreno in a hotel room with a giant banquet in front of him lying on a bed. And uh, that didn't go over too well with his people because there's a lot of austerity in his country. And that only goes to reason if uh, a lion's share of, uh, of the tax dollars or the government budget is fleeing to Paradise Islands, then they have to suffer. And why should they have to suffer? Basically, that money is for the people, not for the administrators of the people. Uh, they don't have license to steal. And that's something that affects all governments in the world, including our own. And uh, it's something that has to stop. It really does. All right. Because uh, oh, I, I, I wanted to ask you, first of all, uh, you mentioned the Power Hour. In how, how, that's on the Genesis Network, I believe, right? How do people yeah. tune into the Power Hour? And give us the well, details. Well, if you go to Power Hour's uh, website and how to listen, you know, powerhournation.com, there's like 50 ways to listen. <laughs> Every podcast hoster, you can listen on the phone by calling a one eight seven seven number. Uh, I put my shows and a few of the other ones that I think are above average uh, on my website. And, uh, you, you know, they're archived on their website as well. And uh, it's on WWCR 7.490 is a rebroadcast in the morning and uh, on shortwave, which is a very good way for a lot of developing nations that don't even have Internet. If you're floating on a raft in the South Pacific, you can listen to Power Hour Nation (laughs) on your Grundig radio. It may come to that. (laughs) It may come to that. All right. Um, Now, the, the DNC hacks. They claim that their emails were hacked uh, by the Russians, although they never turned the, the server over to the FBI. It was a, a third party who said, yes, it's true. Uh, as far as I know, those servers were never examined by the FBI. However, the, those hacked DNCs, which were very damaging uh, to the Clinton uh, campaign back in 2016, uh, and also, you know, John Podesta and so forth, those were published by WikiLeaks. Now, uh, the, uh, Julian Assange has maintained that they were not, uh, given to him by the Russians or a third party on acting on behalf of the Russians. He basically said in, in everything but name that it was, as far as I was concerned, I watched the interview. He, he, he didn't say the name Ben Rich, uh, or sorry, Seth Rich. Uh, but it's, to me, he was indicating, yes, it was Seth Rich that gave him uh, those those hacked emails. What do you think? That's the only reasonable conclusion you can come to. And by and large, when you're given a whole porridge of facts, you use the laws of logic to go through them and look for an inconsistency that makes one less valuable than another. And then you're left with what's left is the truth. And uh, so when you look at the fact that the the Russians are hacking, well, I wouldn't really say they're hacking. All nation states of any repute with a large military are reading everything. 
And uh, so, okay, Russia doesn't belong to the five eyes. You know, we're reading everything that uh, they had. So, yes, they'd have it, but generally there's a gentleman's agreement where you don't let out somebody else's dirty laundry. So, basically, because if you do, then they'll let out your dirty laundry, of course. And uh, Mr. Putin doesn't need people to know where he does his offshore banking. So, I would say the only logical conclusion is Seth Rich found this, and there's a very good reason for it. Bernie Saunders was cleaning up. And he could probably take the nomination. That wasn't allowed to happen by the deep state. And they put the monkey wrench into the primaries to allow him to be defeated, and probably in a crooked manner. And Seth Rich found out about it. He didn't like it. And he did something about it. And, uh, you know, God bless him for it. You know, it was a, that's the thing. There's, you're a martyr frequently when you, when you come to reveal the truth. And uh, it means, you know, generally a prison sentence in some cases, loss of employment, or the executioner's sword. And uh, he, in good faith, did what he thought best, and he got caught, and they took care of business, and he's gone. And uh, so I look at him as a hero, and the people that uh, rigged the primary so that uh, Hillary would uh, come out on top and take Saunders out as uh, despicable, and they probably would use the same techniques in the election as well, because there probably hasn't been a free and independent election in the United States in my lifetime, and I'm going to be 62. Uh, there's all kinds of monkey business going on, and it's always been that way, even when they had something called the Voter News Service, and they had to do things the hard way for the TV news. Great book called Vote Scam about that, going back into those old ages. But now it's who controls the voting machines. George Soros bought one of these companies. It was in Spain. He controlled the voting machines. And in the swing states, I used to say it when Bush was president, doesn't matter what button you push, you voted for Bush. <laughs> and a lot of people are coming out of the polls going, you know, I keep pushing this button and I don't get my candidate. Well, that probably means you made five or six votes for the one you didn't want. And a uh, classic Mission Impossible episode from the old days in the 60s when it was, you know, the piece de resistance was the same thing. They, they broke into this place where there was going to be an election in a despot country, rig the machine so it goes the other way, and uh, get out and, uh, you know, arrivederci. The good guy wins if he was really a good guy. I got to go arrivederci. That's what Hillary's mad about. I will. We'll get into that. I, I've got to go arrivederci myself just for a moment. We'll come back. George Freund from the Power Hour and also Conspiracy Cafe. We'll be back in a moment to talk some more on Julian Assange, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. George Freund stays with us as we continue to delve into uh, Julian Assange. And we were talking about uh, the, the probable murder of, of uh, well, he was definitely murdered, but it wasn't a botched robbery. Uh, Seth Rich, uh, this is kind of a low-level DNC uh, uh, worker, volunteer, who uh, some say, and I think there's a great deal of uh, logic to this argument, hacked into the DNC himself and uh, gathered incriminating evidence that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton because he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, didn't like what was happening in the uh, in the in the uh, the primaries, and uh, wanted to out them. And so this um, these hacked emails were uh, were delivered to 
Julian Assange, uh, who then published them. And they were very damaging, not only to Hillary Clinton, but to uh, John Podesta and others in the DNC. But again, how is that any different than the Washington Post uh, or, or any other American paper that have, you know, that has published material that you could argue was uh, purloined? Let's say, for example, uh, uh, parts of of um, Donald Trump's tax returns, which were published in the uh, the New York Times and I believe the Washington Post, and they were, uh, you know, they were uh, illegally leaked. They were illegally um, obtained. I mean, how is that any different? Well, there could be an angle to that that takes us into three dimensional chess. As Father used to say, an ill eagle is a sick bird, but uh, there used to be something (laughs) called Operation Mockingbird, and I think that bird is still alive and well. And if some of these uh, press mandarins are actually working for the company, then they're doing government business under the guise of being a reporter. So the fact that they leak something or reveal something that would be illegal for anyone else isn't because they're covertly agents of the deep state or the state and they can get away with it. So when they do things like that and and get away scot-free without the slightest recrimination, I see that as uh, a little bit of logic coming into play to say, well, how could that possibly happen? And that's my uh, suggestion box is that they're actually company people. And uh, WikiLeaks or any other reporter, especially if you're in the alternative media, if you say something like that, then uh, they'll come all over you, but you did exactly the same thing. One can't be right and one can't be wrong unless my codicil is correct. So then the the, the same people in the deep state that, that tried to, or that successfully took down Bernie Sanders, uh, that tried to take down Donald Trump, are they the same ones then behind this attempt to extradite um, Julian Assange? I would say yes. And uh, he is probably, if he was an agent for the deep state at some point or in some capacity, as some people allege, he may have worn out his welcome now where he's not useful anymore. That's the trouble with working with people like that. They don't have a retirement plan. Sometimes they just make you disappear or they can use you for some protracted purpose that you never speculated on. And one of that might be to bring you back, charge you, and create now a new impetus to go after reporters who are going to reveal the truth against evil operatives that are running countries. And it's not like there isn't a whole lot of them. So that's that's the dangerous part. I look at, uh, you know, if he is legit and he's been trying that, he's a hero, uh, Snowden, uh, you know, for his, if there was any mistake made, I think it was the intelligence agencies giving everybody and anybody the keys to all the information. And, uh, you know, he just decided to use it to good effect and had a better escape route and went to a better country. Well, when, when, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, she was overheard saying, you know, can't we, you know, get a drone in London and, and take out Assange when he comes out onto the, uh, you know, onto the balcony? Now, she said, oh, I was just joking. Ha, ha, ha. What, what you, I mean, pretty damning comments when you look back at it. Yes. 
And I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised that, uh, you know, she's done this many, many times before. And probably the most uh, poignant case would be the Benghazi operation, where the ambassador was killed with people around him. And the only saving grace was uh, one of these private security units were former Navy SEALs who could fight like mad dogs. (laughs) And they just decided, hell with it, man. We stand up for what's right. And they got their uh, themselves active in defending the embassy to the best of their abilities. And uh, that's the wild card that can come along from time to time, is that there are groups of good people who just say, the hell with the rules. I'm doing what's right. And whether that's in revealing information or as in uh, these gentlemen to uh, to fight, to uh, to save as much as possible from being taken out by this attack on the embassy for someone, another man who knew too much. That that's just almost uh, the basic raison d'être in these intelligence agencies, and the way they take people out is, you know, if you're the man who knows too much or the woman who knows too much, you're in a serious bit of trouble. All right, we'll take another quick time out. Come back. One last segment remains with George Freund as we talk Julian Assange right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.